Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. I was out on vacation last week, sort of, and uh, we did not record an episode, and the MLS world sort of blew up on us. Um, Real Salt Lake owner Deloy Hansen will no longer be Real Salt Lake owner Deloy Hansen before too long. He announced on Sunday that he is going to sell the team, um, along with the NWSL's Utah Royals and the USL's Real Monarchs, which he also owns um, in the wake of, Paul, a report that we put together on Thursday um, following comments he made on Thursday morning on a radio station he owns in Salt Lake City following a boycott. Um, or not a boycott. I don't. I really don't like that word in regards to this. But um, a decision by MLS players to not play in games on Wednesday night um, in the wake of the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, and the protests around that. So a lot happened. We'll run. We'll run it down. I think the the opportune place to start um, is with what happened on Wednesday. Um, and five. There were initially six games scheduled. Um, one ended up taking place between Orlando um, and Nashville. That was uh, that was the first game scheduled, and, and the players couldn't get it quite over the line in time to get that one uh, postponed. Um, but the remaining games, including a game in Salt Lake City, uh, the players decided not to play. The game in Salt Lake City was set to welcome fans to Rio Tinto Stadium between RSL and LAFC. Fans were in the stadium. They had driven long distances. Uh, they had bought tickets. Um, and they did not have a game to go watch because the players decided to to not play in protest of everything going on in our country in regarding uh, racial injustice um, and inequality. And RSL owner Deloy Hansen got upset about that. And he went on his own radio station, one of several that he owns in Salt Lake, on Thursday morning um, and expressed that he was upset. Um, he he said, you know, the, the money line for me was the disrespect is profound to me personally. Um, that's the one that really stood out. That caused a ton of outrage. Um, Josie Altidore was out there tweeting about how, um, you know, if, if that's how Hanson felt, um, then he should go ahead and sell the team. Um, Donovan Mitchell, a Utah jazz player, um, who is an RSL fan. Um, I believe college teammates with, with a former player or two on the team, or maybe even a current, um, you know, goes to Rio Tinto for games every season, uh, shared the same sentiment. Um, and Paul, we started reporting on Thursday and ended up talking to a few different people, Andy Williams, foremost among them, RSL original, a uh, longtime RSL scout, uh, who has been furloughed since April by the club. Um, and he outlined um, some racist incidents, um, several of them shocking, um, including one involving Kellen Acosta um, and, and comments that were made by Deloitte Hansen. Aaron Mond did the same thing, former RSL player. Both Williams and Mond are black. Um, you know, we got we got color from Nada Monuoha, a current RSL player, black man as well. Um, and Nick Ramondo, of course, an RSL legend, um, just kind of on their thoughts on the situation. Both of them were were kind of of the mind or at least leaning that way that, that Hansen needed to go and he shouldn't, he shouldn't be in charge of this team. Uh, the league announced, I believe on Thursday evening that they would launch an investigation into Hansen NWSL um, said the same thing. Um, and by Sunday he had decided and he announced that uh, he would be divesting or selling all three of his teams and their assorted facilities. So that's where we are. Um, kind of a wild few days, a turbulent few days in the MLS world. Um, 
but that that's that is what happened and there's going to be continued fallout from this um but paul i mean we can talk we're going to talk a lot about this in the show uh it'll dominate the entire discussion for the podcast but i mean what do you make of this whole situation um you know obviously the comments were shocking in their own way um but what do you make of how everything came together and and the fact that Hansen is selling selling his teams. Well, I think part of it is that there is a sign of it's a sign a little bit of the changing times that people are being held accountable for their actions and their words where they weren't necessarily before. And I think, you know, Sam, you and I both know that these stories about Deloitte Hansen, they didn't just appear um, on Thursday. You know, these are stories that have been floating around the MLS existence the sphere of influence of people in the know and the hard part is to get somebody who will put their name on these stories and say i was there and i saw it um and that's not an easy thing to do when you're talking about somebody who owns a team who you know pays your salary or the salary of others um who are your friends and um and ultimately what happened was that deloy basically came out and put his you know put himself in this in this situation by by speaking publicly about um a really really important movement and by showing how little he thought of that movement and i think that was enough to um push some people to say you know this is this is just scratching the surface of of um how little deloy understands about um being black in america of what's appropriate and the fact that he has exhibited, you know, racist behavior. And I think, you know, for me, it, it, um, it kind of took a, a layer of reporting for us, a base of reporting that had been done and it, and it basically fast forwarded it and dumped it all into one day. And, um, Andy Williams bravery to stand up and talk really helped us to, um, to be able to, to put out a story that I think it showed, showed those colors, um, you know, showed, the issues that have existed with Deloitte Hansen, some of the issues that have existed with Deloitte Hansen in Salt Lake. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I don't think that should get lost in this, um, that Andy Williams is the one that really broke the lid off of this thing. Um, he was blowing the proverbial whistle, so to speak. Um, I also want to note, and I meant to mention this off the top, but I used to work for Real Salt Lake. Anyone who read the story that we put together the other day um, will have seen that at the top. Um, I was there from 2012 to 2014, um, Delay Hansen was owner the entire time. Initially he was, uh, the minority partner. Um, and then about, I think early 2013, about six months after I started, um, he became the, the full owner of the club. Um, so just in the interest of, of transparency, I wanted to get that out there, but yeah, I mean, like, obviously these are not good comments. I'm frankly a little bit surprised that, uh, Hansen decided to, to sell so quickly. Um, you know, MLS does have a mechanism where if 75% of the board of governors votes you out and says you got to sell, then you, you're compelled to sell. Um, and I think that that threshold probably would have been passed pretty easily in this case. So maybe maybe he saw the writing on the wall and decided to get out in front of it. Um, it's just kind of stunning to me, Paul. And, and we talked a little bit about this before the show, but it's just kind of stunning to me how, how badly he missed the point, Right. Like and, and and the Black Player Coalition in MLS, which is the group headlined by Justin Morrow and, and Jeremy Abobasi and several Black other players, players for that we've spoken to. Black Players for Change, sorry. Um they switched the name on me and I always get it 
wrong in my head. Thank you for the correction there. Um, you know, they're in discussions with the league and owners now and we're following Wednesday night and the decision to sit out. Um, they haven't made those discussions public, but I feel a certain type of way about it um, in terms of, you know, what they're looking for and what statement that sent, at least to me. I think you're sort of aligned with me there, Paul. I, I, would, I was curious, though, if you could just kind of elaborate on what you think Wednesday night meant and what do you think the league, you know, should be doing here going forward? Yeah, well, I think part of what's going on right now is the players are recognizing the power of their actions, but also not just how far they can go in a positive way, but also their limitations and that their connection to more powerful people is a really important tool. And what they're saying is, you know, the initial protests were held after George Floyd was murdered. And we saw that during the MLS's back tournament tournament. And we saw that across other sports as well. Um, And we saw many, many teams come out and issue statements and talk about, um, you know, wanting to be a part of the change and, you know, to how they were going to be involved with their players or with the BPC. And I think that, you know, this latest action was basically saying, you know, there needs to be more than statements. There needs to be real change, real policy change, real action from a league level. And that that league level, it doesn't just include, um, you know, the organizations, but the owners of these organizations who are billionaires, who have access to politicians and to lobbyists and to and are able to influence power. And they want to make those owners recognize that they are not going to stand idly by and allow for kind of these these base level statements to be sufficient. Um, because th- they won't be sufficient for actual change. And I think that's what these protests or these, this, 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 excuse me, the decision not to play um, was about. Um, it was about saying we want real change to occur and we want you to be partners in this. And if you are not partners in this, then we will show you that we are capable of affecting um, essentially the business of sports. And, you know, I think it's really important to recognize that um, that this movement is is something that is going beyond kind of what we've seen in the past, which is which is statements, um, you know, kind of reminds me of kind of the idea of like thoughts and prayers, you know, that no, it's not going to be just that. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, 100%. Saying? Yeah, no, 100%. I agree with you. I think I would go a little farther in some cases, to be totally honest. You know, um, Marcus Thompson, who's one of our colleagues at The Athletic, wrote a really good column sort of that touched on, on these themes and some other themes as well last week after the NBA players made their decision. Um, and it shouldn't be on these athletes to be the leaders here. It shouldn't be on them. It's, it's great that they want to lead, right? It's great that these athletes and coaches want to play a role in this, in these things. And it's great that they're using their power to do so, but they're not the ones with the real power. It's the owners, right? It's the billionaire owners, the owners who are politically connected, the owners who have, in some cases, direct access to these levers of power. And in other cases, many other cases, just like indirect access, influence. Um, You know, you mentioned access to lobbyists or politicians, all of those things, right? These are the people who can really make a difference. And they have, by the way, they all have their own organizations, right? They can start to implement change on a local level through their sports teams, which matter in their communities, right? And and so it's great if a team or an owner puts out a statement 
But you said it, Paul. It's it's it has to be more than that if you're going to say we stand for equality. Well then, or if you're going to say we stand for justice, well then, why not stand for change? Why not try and make that happen? Why not try and be a leader in that way? MLS has been a pretty progressive league on these fronts over the years, and I know it's something that I think I think a lot of hearts and heads are in the right place. I'm not like trying to bash anybody necessarily here, um, but you can always do a little bit more. I was actually having a conversation not long ago uh, with with a GM, and he was asking me about, like we were just kind of talking about the NBA and MLS and the decision to sit out and all of that stuff. And I like we were just going back and forth, and I asked him a question like, hey, is your organization doing all that it can, right? And, and it's not on Real Salt Lake or the Houston Dynamo or – the Montreal Impact or whoever, you know, you name a team. It's not on them to to lead the way. They're not the ones enacting laws or policies or anything like this. But over the last week, 10 days, we have seen that sports can at least drive the discussion here, right? And they can set an example and they can make people in power think about things in a different way and bring issues to the fore, right? And there's no reason that they can't do those same things with direct actions and policies of their own. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that um, there still needs to be change within some of these organizations, right? And so when you talk yeah, to leaders of the BPC about this, um, about these actions, the main goal goes beyond just sport. But part of enacting change is enacting change within the organizations themselves. And I think there, you know, we saw in the statement from MLS and the BPC when games resumed. You know, the reason the games resumed is because the players had met with Major League Soccer, that there were meetings being set between the leadership of the Black Players for Change and the owners of Major League Soccer, and that that type of dialogue between the league ownership and the leaders of the Black Players for Change was enough to um, indicate that the league was serious about making changes to how it does things internally because we know that the hiring processes aren't great for minorities in Major League Soccer on the team level, especially at the executive level, especially. Um, but then also, you know, as we've alluded to and spoken about, you know, what the organization and the league and the owners can do outside of just those teams. And, you know, that at the at the bare minimum, you know, I, I think we see that is an immediate impact of that decision not to play, right? That those meetings, those discussions, that dialogue is occurring, you know, that shows the kind of short-term impact of that type of protest. Um, And now, you know, the onus is on us, the onus is on the league and many others to drive the long-term change that that really was the the, the point behind choosing not to go on the field and play, kind of creating this historic day in American sports. Yeah, and it's obviously going to be an ongoing, long process. And hopefully, at some point, sports don't need to be the leader here. Um, But right now, and it's not not like they're the only leader, but right now they're feeling, uh, to be very frank, like the government's not doing a ton. So there's a little bit of a void there. And, and, you know, sports is is stepping into that to some degree. Anyway, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I do think... Like I said, I do think MLS as a league from the league office standpoint is committed to the right things here. Um, It's a question of what the owners are committed to, though. 
It's that's the real question. And Sam, I would note too that considering the power of the movement that's occurring in sports, right? The leadership that's on display from these athletes. I I don't think that we I don't think I would have confidence in saying that the situation with Deloy Hansen would have played out exactly the same if not for the current climate in the country and the climate within the sports world. And I think that's notable no, as well. Like not at all. Not at all. If the boycott serves the decision not to play doesn't happen in the NBA, then it probably doesn't happen in MLS. If it doesn't happen in MLS, then Deloitte doesn't get on the radio on Thursday morning. And if but, he doesn't get on the radio on Thursday morning, right, then I'm probably like we're probably not talking to Andy Williams on the record, right? Like Yeah, and so I think like the I mean we know effects, right? Like a hundred percent. Like just, this this is like this these are the times we're living in now. Well, just to be blunt too, I mean these stories about Deloitte Hansen have, you know, I think Grant Walls said it multiple times on Twitter, but and you know we started the show talking about it. They've been out there that that Deloitte has had incidents and issues and we've tried to report those out and um people's willingness to talk about it hasn't been it's been difficult to get people to to go on the record and for for multitude of reasons, right? Understandable and, and understandable reasons, very understandable yeah. reasons. You know, people's they're putting their careers on the line, right? And mm-hmm. and and beyond that, there are so many personal points of of the trauma that you go through with some of these things, right? But I think that even if we had reported this story, you know, last year, I'm not sure that the reaction would have played out exactly the same as quickly as it did. And as you know, I think that there was, you know, there is an understanding that things are changing and they, and they need to change and that this is the direction um, that the that society needs to go and, and that sports is leading that change. And I think that's important to note as well. You know, I, I just think that it's um, I think it's I think right now what we're seeing in, in our beat and in across the sports world is is truly, truly uh, players kind of seizing their power and recognizing their, yeah. their power um, and, and the change that it can drive. No, hundred percent. And like, I think it'll continue to happen. Right. Um, you know, you said things are changing in many ways. They are in many ways. They're not right. Like you look at, you look at the shootings, the police shootings that still go on, the police brutality, the inequality in jobs and housing, all that stuff. Right. All of that is still, that's, that's a long, long road. Right. Um, and so I think credit to all of the NBA players, credit to the MLS players who took a stand and say, Hey, essentially said, hey, owners, right? This needs to be top of mind for you like it's top of mind for us. And if it's not, well, then we're willing to make a sacrifice for our own wallets and you're going to feel it too, right? And I think that will continue to happen unless these owners get more and more on board um, as things move forward. So, I mean, I don't know. That's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm curious to see if any MLS teams kind of ramp up their efforts here. Um, in the future, I'm curious to see what RSL does, right? Because this is obviously a it's it's a black eye for that organization, right? In, in a pretty significant way. But that being said, um, the main person, the person who is in charge of of giving the club that black eye, I guess, is gonna be gone. And so that they have an opportunity now to really become a leader 
if they want to in this space. Um, will they? I don't know. I hope so. Um, but that's going to be really interesting to see. And there are some real kind of soccer implications to the change of ownership too. And, um, you know, I, I did want to get into those at some point today, Paul. Well, well Sam, maybe um, that's sure the next you, place you to go. you want to say anything else. No, I, I, yeah, what's next? But, you know, that's important. What's next now yeah. for Real Salt Lake? So, yeah, you, you had a story the other day. So maybe you can, just yesterday, Sunday. So maybe you can run it down a little bit for us. Well, I think what we know is next is obviously it's, it's who's going to buy the, the club. And there are a few things to consider here. First of all, Major League Soccer is a league now where billionaires are kind of running things um, or certainly that running the change that's occurring within the league. And so I think finance, financial, the financial side of this is going to be one of the most important. You know, the league needs more owners who are able to spend at higher levels. And so that is a really important idea to note going in. Now, we know that the, the ownership group of the Utah Jazz is, is interested. Um, you know, whether or not they can be the right fit, whether the price is right remains to be seen. Josie Altidore has been vocal about his interest in, you know, he has a group of people uh, that he's working with who are interested in buying the club. We don't know enough about them yet, but we do know that it's very real and that they, you know, I, I spoke to a source with knowledge of the situation who said, you know, they have the money. The money is not a problem. Um, and so, you know, that seems to be kind of the two public groups so far. I can promise you there are more than that. You know, MLS is a, is a league right now where the expansion fee is $325 million to get in. That's before building a facility and building a stadium. And they're running out of expansion slots. So there are going to be interested buyers. And the next question will be what happens with that ownership group? You know, do they keep the NWSL and USL and MLS teams together? Do they invest at levels greater than what we saw at Real Salt Lake on the first team? Do they continue some of the really good investment that was occurring at the youth levels? From a soccer side, those are the questions. But you're right, Sam. I think there is a, a massive question mark around what does this organization do in its practices under a new owner to indicate and recognize the change that they need to undergo in order to regain the trust of the community and of the community in Utah and the soccer community at large. And of their own players, right? Like, like really importantly, like there aren't a lot of black people in Utah. Like it's not a very diverse place. Like I lived out there for a couple of years. There is a large Hispanic population there. So I don't, I don't mean to like people think of Utah as a lily white place and there's a large Polynesian population there as well. Um, so there is some diversity, but there aren't many, there aren't many black people in Utah and, and that's, that's a fact, right? So maybe RSL can take up a little bit of a leadership role in this. Right. And, and, and who knows um, if they will be able to, if they will want to, um, those are all kind of too early to answer. Right. We don't know what the new owner is going to be. We don't know if Deloitte is going to maintain operational control or maybe the maybe the Larry H. Miller group, which is the group that owns the jazz. Maybe they come in on an interim basis. Who knows? Right. Um, so we don't know what any of that stuff is going to look like. Um I do think that, you know, you mentioned a couple of interested parties. I do think it's going to be interesting to see if any private equity companies um, or investment funds get in on this. Um, you know, MLS kind of recently amended the rules there that would allow 
those sort of groups to take more control, although not full control. Um, so maybe you could see an arrangement like that. Um, Dave Checkets, the man who started Real Salt Lake and brought Deloitte Hansen in as an owner, um, as a, as a part owner, I believe in 2009, uh, largely for financial reasons because Checkets didn't have the money to sustain that organization on his own. Um, maybe he can put together a group. He brokered a deal between uh, to m- where Mikhail Prokhorov sold the Brooklyn Nets for $3.3 billion, the Brooklyn Nets and the Barclays Center. So he's got access to those worlds um, for sure. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what that looks like. For me, what I'm looking at um, is what is the price going to end up? Right, and we've heard some different numbers floated floated to us by different people around MLS. You mentioned the three hundred twenty five million expansion fee for Charlotte. I, to me, that's like that's the minimum starting point. Right, you have to you have to get more than that if you're MLS. What do you think that that looks like, though, Paul? That number. Yeah, this has been an interesting part of the reporting process, and I think it's the funny part is it's the question I get most from sources around the league. Uh, They all want to know what the valuation is going to be of this club because it impacts the valuation of every other club in Major League Soccer. So, you know, I think there are a few places to gauge this. You know, the the sale of the fire um, was around around three hundred and fifty million dollars, if we're going to put a round number on it. And that came without a stadium that came without a training facility. Right. Um, But it also is one of the biggest markets in the United States. Um, RSL is a small market team and in talking to some sources around the league, there are real financial impacts of being in a smaller market, right? It caps your marketing dollars. It caps your sponsorship dollars. The, the, the eyeballs that are paying attention to you are limited compared to bigger markets, but the stadium is built. The training facility was built for $78 million. It's got a school attached to it for the Academy. Um, there are major advantages that you're locally you're locally relevant you're incredibly in relevant locally are. your revenue from tickets is there right and so operationally you're in a good spot as well um multiple sources we've spoken to I'm trying not to get to, out too far ahead of the stories we're working on but it sounds like most people think the price will be somewhere around 350 million dollars maybe 400 million dollars somewhere in that range um, other people have come in other sources. Another, well, one other source came in way above that number. Um, maybe they know something that we don't. Um, but it seems like it's going to be somewhere in that range. And I think, you know, I, I think that's probably a fair price considering the market and the real estate value that's there for Salt Lake. Um, and I think that's also a price that makes it very attractive. For any ownership group to come in and, and buy into MLS at essentially Charlotte's expansion fee, but with all of your facilities already built, a fan base already established, uh, a, a staff in place, a clearly operational success that's been there. I think RSL has been one of the more um, successful teams in, ter- in terms of year over year, um, what their books look like, because they do have that kind of fan base that's there. So. I think it's going to be an attractive purchase for for many, many different potential ownership groups. Yeah, the one thing that I would say, or a few things that I would say is, I think it is attractive for all the reasons you mentioned. You know, that fan base, I think it's fair to say, is atrophied a little bit. You've seen attendance go down in Salt Lake in recent years um, from what it was in like 2013, 2014. Um, 
I think it's also fair to say, as you kind of mentioned, it's a limited ceiling there from a financial standpoint, right? You're not going to make as much money in Salt Lake City as you might be able to in Southern California or New York City. Uh, and that's just a function of how many companies are out there and how many people are out there. It says nothing about the fan base itself. Um, but it is more turnkey, like you said. Um, so it's, it's can you find that sweet spot? Um, the other big thing to me, Paul, is like, is this buyer going to have to be local? Because I don't think that team's going anywhere, right? I don't think the Royals will either, although maybe that's more of a possibility than RSL leaving. And, you know, I don't think MLS is at the point where you have a non-local buyer coming into a place like Salt Lake City, right? Like in the NFL, this isn't a problem. In the NBA, it's not really a problem. People just want those teams. It doesn't even really matter where they are, right? I don't think MLS is at that point yet. Um, and there aren't that many local buyers, right? You mentioned the Larry H. Miller group. There are a few other potential candidates that you could do pie in the sky stuff with. Um, and maybe they're interested. Maybe they're having docs. We don't know. Um, but that to me could limit this market. And, and if it's a limited market, right, if there's only one bidder in there, that price is going to be low. Yeah. I mean, I think we know also that Major League Soccer prefers local ownership. You know, Chicago is another example of that. Mansueto was a local owner. They thought it was important to have somebody join the ownership group. Initially, he bought in as a minority owner. Andrew Hauptman ha still held on to the majority shares. And then eventually Mansueto bought Andrew Hauptman out. Um, but a big part of that was that MLS really wanted to push a, for a local owner in that market. I think they prefer things that way. They, they uh, typically, I think, feel like there is more buy-in, um, more investment. Yeah, I think all the of the owners, things right? equal. So all of the things equal. You yeah, won't. you're right. It does complicate things. Um, and and let's be let's be honest. Deloitte Hansen doesn't have a ton of leverage in this negotiation either, right? Um, right. He, it's a distressed asset. It so is. To speak. So so I think that all impacts the price, and and probably understandably is why it is around the number that we're hearing now. We, you know, we need to continue to confirm that number. I think it's easy to speculate on what it may be worth. But as Sam's alluding to, what it may be worth and what it's actually sold for could be two very different numbers depending on who's right. involved in buying. I mean, I, I say if you get one bidder in that, the price could be low. If you get two, it could rock it way up, right? Like, who knows? So, And, and that's the thing with these kind of – I think I, I read something earlier today where Mark Cuban described it as like a unique asset, right? It's It's almost like, all right, you know what a gallon of milk is worth, right? Like you can go out to the store and buy it and you, you can go out to a store in Chicago or New York City and it'll probably be relatively similar in price. For a sports team, you can kind of throw that out the window. The valuation is what anyone's willing to pay for it. Um, and in the, in the echelon of market that we're talking about, um, that could be pretty high. So that's going to be interesting. I think for MLS, um, you know, and the obvious candidate is the Larry H. Miller Group. They own the Jazz. They own the Salt Lake Bees, which is the AAA baseball team in town. Um, they own the G League team, which is the Jazz affiliate, um, I believe, down in Utah County. They understand the market for sure. Um, Gail Miller, I believe her name is, is, has been, I think, relatively progressive on, on some racial stuff that's happened at Jazz Games. I think Russell Westbrook had a notable incident a year or two, two ago, and she came out kind of with some full-throated support. I hope I'm getting that right because I didn't research that before this show. Um, but I, I think I'm remembering it correctly. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't have to do a lot of vetting. They're a known quantity. They know the market. Um, 
it just so happens that a lot of former RSL employees work for the Jazz, oddly enough. So I think they could take that thing over pretty quickly and uh, pretty smoothly. Um, but it is going to be interesting because RSL has has this pretty defined model. Um, and in many ways, I think it makes sense. Um, they invest a lot in their academy. They've gotten some success out of that. Uh, they invest a lot in their infrastructure, which supports that academy and supports the other teams. But they put millions and millions of dollars into those things. And they can't like go out and sign like a DP forward for more than a million bucks. And so like, there's like a, I don't know, that doesn't, that just like, doesn't really match to me. And this team, I think it's only one of three in MLS that has won a playoff game each of the last two years, which is kind of wild. Um, So they're competitive consistently. Um, They are missing a piece or two. And so will a new ownership group be willing to kind of make those investments to go get a piece or two? We'll see. Yeah, I mean, there's room for growth. There's room to take the RSL model and then take it to the next level. I would also like to say that the Larry H. Miller group sounds like a jazz band I'd see at the off night at the Green Mill here in Chicago. You know, wow, you and Al Capone at the Green Mill, huh? Well, you know, I live on the north side. It's, uh, it's the north side cocktail lounge. Larry, Larry, and Steve Miller were cousins, actually. Yeah, I mean, it still no, sounds that like one a, didn't land, huh? No, no, Steve Miller band is <laughs> that joke? Uh, that joke did not fly like an eagle. That's <laughs> okay. You know what? Most jokes on this show don't. I'm sorry. They don't. They don't do it, Sam. <laughs> and just adding uh, on to the bad joke doesn't make it better. You know, you could have been a good teammate, but you just you just stared at me in blank silence. Kind of, it's kind of hurtful, Paul. Well, you know, I feel like you make fun of my dad jokes on this show all the time, so I can't encourage your jokes. whatever um we digress we digress i do want to come back to the overall point though of of just kind of what does this mean right and what did last wednesday mean and you said it i think i said it it's it's a call from the players to the owners to say hey step up do more you're the leaders in our society you can do more you can affect change in ways that we cannot we need your help and deloy hansen completely missed that completely missed it Instead of looking at it in that way, he took it as a sign of disrespect to him that he couldn't allow 5,000 people into Rio Tinto Stadium to watch, you know, this this Frankenstein monster of a regular season that's playing out on a Wednesday night. And that is ridiculous. And his comments that Andy Williams t- spoke about were ridiculous. And... You know, I think it's the right thing for MLS um, that he will be selling the team. Um, and I hope that the rest of the league, who have some teams who are doing the right things, and I think we'll see this and will ramp up their efforts, and who have some teams that are not in that same boat at all, right? And some ownership groups that are not in that same boat at all. I hope they see this and they say, you know what? Our players do need our help in this stuff. We are the ones with the power. We need to, they, they're the ones leading. Right, they're the ones making a hundred k a year, three years out of college, and they're leading on this, and that shouldn't be the case. It should be the people with the billions of dollars, with access to power, who should be leading on this stuff. And hopefully, the the other owners and other teams take this whole episode, this whole fiasco, as a sign of that, and they start to do more. I think that's really well put, Sam. And um. Hopefully we we see a little bit more of that change happening this week um, and get some clarity on some of the things that are happening at the the league level, certainly at the club level at Real Salt Lake and, you know, from the the BPC as well. 
But then also, um, you know, I think it's going to be, like you said, there are some aspects of this, the more, the most important aspects of this that are long-term changes that go beyond just the sport that we cover um, or the sports that we watch on TV. And, you know, hopefully we see changes start to happen there in this country as well. Um, you know, Sam, before you went on vacation or when you went on vacation, um, I kind of thought in my mind that I was going to do a show that was like very soccer roster focused, like really dorky allocation disorder stuff. And Mm -hmm. whenever one of us thinks that we're going to do a show like that, uh, something ends up happening that makes that show not work. But I think, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, these are, it also, you know, reinforces that these are the important issues, you know, Um, that we can put aside the things that we love about the sports that we watch and cover um, and shine a light on more important issues than that. And that's what this, that's what these player actions are all about. And um, yeah. I think it's important that we recognize that and then take the time to talk about what change is needed and what can be done. For sure. Um, and credit to the players who, who stood by their convictions and did not play last week. Um, credit to them for working with the league and trying to enact change. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll see what happens in Salt Lake. Obviously, some changes are needed. Some changes will be coming. Um, we'll stay on top of those. Uh, as as they do come down the line um but you know like you said paul <laughs> to quote a podcast i listen to all the time it's an important discussion i'm glad we're having it um <laughs> uh but yeah i mean unless there's anything else you want to add i think we can i think we can wrap up this episode no just glad to have you back from uh, uh working vacation yeah summer. i just want to say for the record when paul took his vacation i did an episode and when i took mine here we are you know, so know who's got your back, listeners. Yeah, I mean, I was busy. You know, I was I was working. Listen, we're all busy, man. I'm, all busy. I'm taking <laughs> vacation later this week, and I have a feeling that it's not going to be. It's going to be a Sam Stays School version of a vacation where I'm working yeah. half the time. So I'm not looking forward to that part. But it's all right. Anyway, we we digress again. Thank you for listening to this non-soccer related episode of Allocation Disorder. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully uh you know you learned a thing or two, uh opened your mind. Um and yeah, until next time. This this is Sam Stayskull, he's Paul Tenorio. This has been Allocation Disorder. Thanks for listening.